there was a great question in the uh, original post I made from Don Weiss, and he's just like, how'd you know when you were going to make it to Katahdin? Or I'm like, I just never thought I wasn't. So like, mm. it never crossed my mind that I could or should stop at any point. I was never like struggling to keep going. And that's the kind of attitude you need to do it. So it's less important to train your body. It's more important to train your mind. So if you really want to do it, just make sure that you have the right attitude for it and that um, you work on your attitude. You're listening to the Sasquatch Trailrunners Podcast, where every run is a trail party. I'm your host, Kim Levinsky, and today's episode is the recording from our Facebook Live interview series on Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. We sat down with Sarah Firavanti to hear all about her thru-hike of the Appalachian Trail. So sit back and relax, or get out on the AT to hit the trails and enjoy the show. Today's episode is brought to you by Potatoes, the only carb a runner needs. They're red, they're white, they're brown, they get that way underground, there can't be much to do, so now they have blue ones too. Especially useful when you reach the halfway point of your ultra and realize that the winner is probably already finished. We don't care what they look like, we'll eat them, any way they can fit on our plate, every way we can conjure to eat them, we're delighted and think they're just great. Potatoes have been known to bring runners quite literally back from the brink of death, which is why here at Sasquatch Trail Running, we give them our full endorsement. Sometimes we ditch the skin to eat what it's holding in. Sometimes we'd rather please have just the outside with cheese. Available in the produce section of your local grocery store. All right, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sasquatch Trail Runners Run Venture Facebook Live series for our third episode of 2021. My name is Kim Levinsky. I am the owner and race director for Sasquatch Trail Runners in New Jersey. Tonight, we are joined by trail runner and hiker Sarah Firvanti, who will be sharing about her 2000 mile Appalachian Trail through hike. So before we give her the little squatchy introduction, I'm going to sh- share a few updates about what's happening in the wonderful world of Sasquatch trail running. So we recently extended our February run venture race until the end of March. If you haven't noticed, there's a ton of snow out there. We're expected to get another dumping tomorrow. And I had some folks contact me about, you know, what are the trail conditions out in Ringwood uh, me personally, I want to I want to do all the distances in the series, and it's just it's not feasible right now for February with the amount of snow that we have. So we are extending that. That's great news. It's going to go through the end of March, all the way till March 31st. Um, we have a variety of distances available, ranging from a 5K up to 36 miles of that one's called the Wanakue Traverse, and these are all in the trails of Ringwood. They are gorgeous. They are some of my favorite trails in New Jersey. You can learn more about that and you can register for <clears throat> any of those distances on ultrasignup.com. So if you may or may not heard, we recently had to adjust our plans for our March in-person race. Traditionally, we're over at Stoke State Forest for the double squatch, but because the New Jersey 
state parks are not issuing permits at this time, we had to change plans. So we're making a little pivot. We're going back to the Ramapo Valley County Reservation in Mawa, New Jersey for the substitute single squatch on Sunday, March 14th. You can sign up to squatch five and a half miles or 11 miles on the scenic trail route loop excuse me, at the reservation. So you can learn more about that, register on ultrasignup.com. To learn more about the rest of our events for 2021, you can check them out on our website, sasquadtrailrunning.com. Okay, so that about wraps it up for what's going on right now in Sasquad. Told you I would keep it short and concise. So the reason that you are all here, Sarah is gonna be sharing with us her adventures from the AT tonight. So I met Sarah about four years ago when we first started Sasquad Trail Running. She quickly became a part of our community by joining us at our trail parties, both as a runner and a volunteer. I personally remember Sarah being a huge help to me when she volunteered at the Squatchyanda Night Trail Race last January, which if you've been to any of those events at Weiwayanda, you know they're always crazy. And I remember Sarah got there early. She was helping me set up. And she just was such a huge help to me uh, as that crazy night ensued. Um, so she can most often be found on the trails. She's come to a lot of our group runs. She also goes frequently to the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference group runs. And if you don't recognize Sarah, you might recognize her dog, who is pretty famous here in New Jersey. Um, so Sarah is a marketing, she's in marketing and graphic design in Kenilworth, New Jersey. She was recently married last year before COVID shut the world down. And she completed her through hike of the Appalachian Trail. She started on April 15th, 2015, finished that same year, August 31st, 2015. So, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, I'm excited. We've already had some nice chatter on our Facebook event page. You put the call out for some questions, which I love. We got a lot of great questions on that thread, as well as in our Sasquad group. So, and I also love we shared an infograph that you put together with some really great stats. I love all that background logistical information, but before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about you and um, then we can talk about the AT. So what do we need to know about Sarah? Um, I am clumsy. I have a broken toe <laughs> right now because apparently I slip in dog drool and slide across my kitchen. Uh, I not only love hiking and trail running, I'm also into road running and I, did that through high school and college. Uh, I've been getting more and more into cycling as well. So this summer, while I've been hurt and just trying to stay away from everybody, like everybody else is, I was doing a lot of cycling out on the roads and exploring. Um, and now that it's winter, you can find me skiing or snowboarding. Um, I like being outside. So it kind of makes sense that I would do something like the Appalachian Trail. Totally, totally. So it's a great segue. The Appalachian Trail, why did you do it? Where did the idea come from? When did you first start thinking about the AT, which is no small feat by any stretch of the imagination? I actually grew up in West Milford, New Jersey, where a small section of the Appalachian Trail goes through in uh, Weweyanda State Park. And for the longest time, I actually had no idea it was even there or that it was a thing. 
no idea. It wasn't until like after high school when one of my friends was talking to me about it and he's like, so cool. And people do this. And I'm like, in our town, people go through our town. I had no (laughs) idea. And, uh, from there, I kind of just latched onto the idea of doing the whole trail. And to this day, I have no idea why I actually did it. Um, Sometimes it's just a matter of, I think it's something I should do. So I just do it. And there's no, no other big meaning besides that. (laughs) And yeah, so that's part about it for that part. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. So when about like what time, how much, how much I love the planning. So I wanted, I have so many questions about planning. How long did it take from the the time you decided I'm going to do this till April 15th was your first date that you started? So it took me an entire year to plan. And when I started planning, I wasn't completely serious about actually doing the entire trail yet. I bought a whole bunch of gear after going on places like Reddit and just looking up what works for people and what gear has been rated well. And I just got really into the research and just started picking up different items here and there. And almost every single weekend from spring to fall that year beforehand, I was actually out on the trail through New York and New Jersey and just doing like one or two nights and just seeing what it would be like. And honestly, it was completely different than actually doing the whole thing, but I thought that's what it was going to be like. But it helped me figure out certain items of gear. But honestly, it doesn't really matter how long you actually prep because everything is different than what you think it will be because you're out there for so long that uh, you can't prepare for it unless you're like out for an extended period of time. So although I planned for a year, a lot of the stuff that I picked up and a lot of the gear I started with ended up just being replaced anyway. Wow. Really? So a lot, you didn't end up sticking with a lot of the gear that you started with? No, I mean, my pack, I got rid of the first week. I switched out what? my bag. I got an entire new tent, uh, even down to my spoon. Like I replaced that spoon to a better long handled spoon. Like, Get out. So what'd you do with all the gear? Were you able to like trade it in or did you have to just give it away um, or something? Some of it, like the pack that I uh, used in like the first week of my through hike, I actually was able to return to REI, especially since it didn't have a lot of wear on it because I only had like a weekend and then that first couple days on the trail. So that I could return, but other items I just shipped home and they have been useful. So when I go out for a weekend with friends now, I do have some spare gear and it, it helps get people started. It's like, Hey, I have a tent you can borrow. Now you want to come with me? (laughs) Nobody wants to go with me. Nobody has all the gear. So it works out. That's awesome. So going into this, did you have a goal in mind in terms of time like how much time you wanted to be out there or was it kind of like I'm going to start and whatever happens happens yeah it was I'm going to start and whatever happens happens it's like a lot of people in the SAS squad know like the first time you ever do a hundred miler or 50 miler like you can't even start to assume what kind of time you're going to do like you just have no idea so you just like you just start you're like I hope I finish at some point (laughs) so yeah I just went in without expectations Okay. 
So when you were preparing, was a lot of the research, were you doing it like online? Were you trying to talk to other people who had done the AT? Did you know, did you know anybody who'd done a through hike of the AT? Uh, not personally. I knew that like from my graduating class in high school, there was a pair of people who actually did it a couple of years before me, but they weren't people I was in touch with. And then when I did the few weekends on the trail, I did meet one or two people that were through hiking and I asked a couple questions here and there, but most of my research came from Reddit, the Appalachian Trail subreddit, just kind of digging in there and seeing what everybody else was doing at that time. So most of it was just online research. Okay. Got it. Um, And I, I know the answer to this, but for everybody else, you did this solo or with other people? That is the number one question I usually get. I technically did it solo. So I didn't start with anybody. I didn't have a friend I was sticking along with. But when people think of the Appalachian Trail, they think about it as this like desolate place where you can like go out into the wilderness and be completely alone with your thoughts. But really, there's a ton of people. And it's almost impossible to avoid people and not get into a group of friends and become part of the community. And somehow, even though like you're not on your phone all day, everybody has that on airplane, you still know everyone's business. You're like, someone's saying like, did you hear about this one person who's maybe two days ahead of us? They did that, this or that. And like, somehow it just like goes up and down the trail and everyone knows everything. (laughs) So it's, it's never lonely. Every time you got to camp, there were always people there. And for the most part, you either, know someone they know or uh you you've seen them a couple times already okay I got you Uh, I'm just peeking into the chat and you have you have some takers on doing overnights with you you just said nobody would go with you but really Christina Lude is in and so is Jessica Sameo so you might want to connect got some trail buddies (laughs) Christina's a good one she can cross-country ski with me and backpack yes Only I'll break my toe again. <laughs> so, totally. So I know before we, um, before this live feed, we talked a little bit on Monday, I guess it was. And you said there was like a list of questions that everybody always asks you. I know we hit the first one, which was, do you go solo or the, with other people? What, what were this, those other, the other questions that you find you're always a- getting um, asked by people? Yes, that is always the first question. Um, and then the second question is usually, where did you sleep? And the third question is, what did you eat and how'd you get food? Okay. I can answer those real quick. Uh, there are a bunch of designated camp areas along the Appalachian trail. And even when there aren't, there are, uh, sites you can use along the way. Generally people stay at the designated campsites because there's usually a shelter there. So you don't necessarily have to pitch a tent if you don't want to. And then it's always, or almost always near a water source. So you can replenish your water at that point and have everything you need for the next day. And, um, oh man, what did I say the next question was? Um, so yeah, it's always, where did you sleep? How'd you get food? So they always also assume that you're never near a town and, It's actually amazing how many towns you physically walk through while you're on the trail and how many of them are ridiculously close to a trailhead. So you could walk in and out, no problem, and go to a grocery store. So I got my food 
primarily from actual grocery stores. And usually you picked a buddy to go with because sometimes you can't buy a small amount and you don't want to carry like this giant tub of oatmeal and you kind of just split up packages that way, or you leave them in what's called a hiker box. And it's just free trail love. It's like I had extra, it's yours for the taking and you kind of had good karma that way. What was that? What was the best thing you found in the trail box? Uh, Somebody had homemade freeze-dried food. So oh, dehydrated and it was, I don't know, it was this pasta with chicken. It was so good. And now that I think about it, it's kind of weird that I was like eating something homemade from a random box of stuff. (laughs) But it made me really happy at the time. (laughs) Well, that was also pre-COVIDian times as well, right? Yes. And it's impossible to do the Appalachian Trail without being a completely, utterly disgusting human being and avoiding <laughs> So I recommend everybody who doesn't want to get sick with like norovirus, Giardia, and the possible COVID-19, please stay home. <laughs> Seriously though, I think 50% of the people I met while hiking got either norovirus or giardia so so you're being serious like on the trail they pick that up just from- oh 100 serious a lot of people get it uh, you can't wash your hands and that's really how it's spread so yeah. they tell you they tell you not to share food with people don't stick your hand in someone else's food bag and uh you'll have better chances of not getting sick and i feel very grateful that i went the whole way without having to deal with that because i saw people laid up in like gross motel rooms for like a couple days, just puking. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's a fun little note. <laughs> so you, you got away pretty lucky by having that homemade special something in the, in the hiker box. <laughs> yeah, I guess I did. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, okay. So I am so curious. I love talking about gear. Are you able to, I know you do as well. So are you able to, I'm sure you can, can you walk us through what was in your pack and what you brought on the AT? Yes. I'm going to screen share. Yes. Do it. Do it. Okay. Let me know if you can see my lighter pack. Oh yeah. We got it. A lot of backpackers use this website and you put in every item that you're carrying with you, uh, you weigh it. And a lot of mine, I also just guess what they weighed, but really I should have weighed them completely. And you kind of figure out how heavy your backpack is going to end up being so that you can rearrange things and replace items to maximize your pack. Mm -hmm. And you have to get really nerdy to get into this, but (laughs) this is actually everything I carried at the start of my Appalachian trail hike. And I'm happy that I put it all in here because I probably would have forgotten like half of it. Um, I had a lot of clothing. I had way more clothing than I could possibly have needed. Uh, Everything from a buff, which came with me the entire way to convertible pants that you could zipper off into shorts, which did not make it very far. (laughs) Oh, and a heavy, heavy poncho for some reason. Um, one thing I'm, like, that, I'm trying to like scour this list. This is so, oh, okay. I love this. This is awesome. Keep going. I mean, I can share them, share these lists for my starting pack and my final pack at the end, because you can link right to them. 
Wow. It's a setting in here. So everybody can just get all nerdy with me. I love it. Um, somebody actually asked some of the questions about like gear that I wish I had and didn't realize I needed. Yes. And I'd have to say one of them is definitely extra socks. You know, I went through 50% of the Appalachian trail with one pair of hiking socks and then one pair of socks I only wore at camp. So wow. like, I don't know how I did that. Cause like the other half, I had two pairs of hiking socks that like I'd wear one until it got really, really terrible. And then I change it out. But yeah, uh, two pairs of socks way better. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah, we're getting a, a bunch of questions popping up in the chat. So let me, let me read you a couple. We've okay. got, um, this is from, let me scroll up here. Um, Joe Brandine wants to know, did you, did you cut your toothbrush in half? I'm oh sure yes, you, I did. did. You have to save some weight in space. I cut it in half. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Jessica Sameo wants to know, how did you keep your food away from the critters? Oh, um, when you're at most shelters, they had uh, like mice hangs and you have like a string coming down and you wrap the bag around it so that like the little mice and critters in the shelter, because there are a lot of mice. Like if you sleep at a shelter, you're almost guaranteed to wake up with a mouse crawling on you at some point. Ugh. Yeah, no, it's gross. <laughs> totally happened to me. Did not like it. Um, and then if you're not sleeping in a shelter or near a shelter, you carry, um, a little thing of rope. And when I say rope, I mean, like really thin and tiny, they call it a bear hang. And you actually, you take it and you wrap it around your food bag. And then you like, you have it tossed over a tree limb out from the ground and just hang it up and hope that a bear is not good enough to climb and get it. Did you ever have any unwanted visitors in your food bag? Not in my food bag, but yes, there were always unwanted visitors, like a bear sniffing at my tent when I had no food bag with me and oh. uh, the mice, uh, raccoons, and usually it's harmless. They're just like sniffing around by you and then they'll go away. I mean, I do know people who had their food bags like torn into and generally it was the mice. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm going to keep firing these questions at you because they're coming in. Sean Kane, okay. Sean Kane wants to know how many mail drops did you do along the way? If any, uh, I don't know an exact number. I didn't do very many. Some people sent food that way and they would do what's called a bounce box where if they got to a certain location and they had too much food and didn't need their like box yet, they'd send it up to the next spot and you actually didn't have to pay to do it. It's just oh, like wow. forwarding your mail. Okay. Um, I usually had my shoes sent that way. And then um, when I needed to switch out certain bits of gear, um, like when the spring was over and I was getting rid of like my warm weather gear and getting my, uh, I'm getting, getting my warm weather gear and getting rid of some of my colder weather gear. Mm. Um, so I probably only did like five for the entire trail and that'd be about it. Okay. All right. I'm going to pop in one more question and then we can keep talking about gear. Uh, Steve, Barony, I believe his last name, wants to know, how was the bathroom and did you shower? So uh, there weren't a lot of actual bathrooms, 
but the shelters themselves usually had what's called a privy, which is just a big hole that's dug and an outhouse type situation. And you also had the woods and a little shovel. (laughs) And when you went into town and you stayed at a hotel or hostel, you got an actual shower. I probably showered like every three days, which is more than I had expected, but there are actually a lot of opportunities for a shower. You just get gross so fast. It kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> All right. We've got a really great question from Christina Lude, but I'm going to hold off on it because it's, it's a little bit deep. So we're going to hang on to that for a little bit later. Um, it's a okay. good question, Christina. Uh, I want to give you more chance to talk about gear. If you want to get through any more of this uh, spreadsheet or highlight anything else. Oh yeah. In terms of gear. Um, as you can see where it says pack and shelter, both of those ended up changing for me. As far as sleep goes, I had this really thin pad and it was really uncomfortable. I got rid of that. I uh, ended up replacing that sleeping bag because I had a men's size. And apparently I, but I didn't know this, but if you have a ba- a sleeping bag, that's too big, you'll actually be colder than if you have a bag that's the right size. Cause your body temperature is what's heating up the bag. So that was a mess up. Uh, I I did have a bunch of hygiene items. Um, and then for cooking, actually almost none of this changed for cooking. I chose well. Um, I had like a tiny little stove that just screwed right on top of the fuel Uh and a lot of little items that these changed a little bit here or there. Like I had ended up getting rid of the camelback at one point to kind of lighten things up. One thing I really liked having was my charger. Um, I had a little uh, external anchor charger so I can get like a charge and a half on my phone while still hiking so I could still listen to stuff. And if I go to my final pack, this is how much things change. So the base weight was um, almost 16 pounds on my original pack and then I brought it to wow. 12 and a half. So I figured out what I was doing while I was doing it. Right. That seems pretty, I mean, I don't know much about through hiking, but that seems pretty light for a 2000 mile journey. Is that what, how does it fall? I know there's like extreme ultra light people. Um, and then there's people who, ca- who like pack the kitchen sink. Where did you fall in terms of this with your base, your final base weight? Um, I was on the low end of average. I had a friend who literally got rid of every item that you'd find comfortable. He was sleeping on a little pad that probably weighed like two ounces and was so thin that it wasn't even like sleeping on anything. Got rid of, got rid of his nice comfy hammock and his pack was probably only like eight pounds, but, but he was I don't know. A little Was crazy. he miserable? <laughs> I mean, at, at times he was, uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know how he did that, but when you're doing so many miles, taking just one pound off your back makes a huge, huge mm. difference. Right. And, um, that doesn't just include stuff that you're seeing on my lighter pack that also includes food. So there are people who also like strategically eat strategically drink, so that they don't have to carry as much because food and water actually ends up weighing almost as much as your actual pack items do. 
Yes. So what was, what would you say like on average day, your total weight was with, cause water, you know, weighs a lot. So water and food, when you add that in, were you back up to close to like 20 pounds or so, or. Yeah, I would say for the most part, my pack was between 20 and 25 pounds wow. in the beginning. I was really bad about knowing how much food I needed. So my food bag was probably what other people would carry for like an entire week, but I would just carry it for three days. It was ridiculous. So you you really do have to learn how to maximize your food. Mm. Yeah. It it, it is amazing how much like water weighs also. There are a lot of water sources though, along the Appalachian trail. So what some people do, they call it cameling up. They would stop every time there was a water source and just chug some water. That way they didn't have to carry as much. They could just stop and drink it when it was there. Did you do that? No. I mean, it seemed annoying for me to like stop all the time to do that. You stop, you filter the water, then you have to move on. I'm like, I was not the kind of hiker who liked taking breaks. I just like kept going Mm. probably to my own detriment. I would, (laughs) I would hike really long days without stopping. And sometimes I'd go like five hours and be like, I probably should eat a snack. (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) Then eat like everything when I got to camp. Okay. So for, for water, did you, I think I saw you had tablets. Was that your primary way of filtering or did you use like a Sawyer mini or what did you use for filtering? So fun fact, the Sawyer mini, when you are through hiking is the worst ever because it clogs up really fast and it takes a really long time to filter the water, but the regular Sawyer is amazing. So I had the regular Sawyer. I was carrying the tabs for like emergency situations, just in case like my filter broke or something was really funky and I had to drink it because there was nothing else. I really didn't end up using them, but thankfully the tabs I was carrying were, they weighed almost nothing. So it wasn't so bad. Um, yeah, so I would do the Sawyer squeeze. Uh, I think they, they make a new one now that's in between what the Sawyer mini and the Sawyer squeeze weighed. And I forget what it's called, but it seems really nice. (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah. And like going back into the other items of my pack, as you can see, the backpack changed, uh-huh. it, got, it got lighter and I got a new tent and it was about the same weight as my old one, but it was maybe twice the amount of space inside because like wow. it's, your, it's your home. Like you really want to have that kind of space. Okay. And then I got a nice comfy sleeping pad. I actually did add weight on that, but man, it was it was so worth carrying a pound. It was so comfy, not very warm, but very comfy. I I switched to a quilt in the summer months instead of an actual sleeping bag, which I highly recommend. They're really cozy. Um, and the weight that you carry on a sleeping bag, like everything that's under you actually is wasted. Like it's wasted weight because it doesn't keep you any warmer because you're compressing the loft and the loft is what keeps you warm, which is why quilts are amazing. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, I kind of, I got my clothing in check. So everything was a little more in order cooking. Thankfully. Yeah. I got cooking right. And I had a lot less items here and I started carrying around smart water bottles instead of like a heavy Nalgene and carrying, uh, a camelback. So it, it's amazing how much you can like, yeah, it's my source. You can get like stuff in order. <laughs> that is awesome. I love this website. I'm going to have to bookmark it. It's called lighterpack.com. 
Yep. I'll send, I'll send out some links for it. That way everyone awesome. can take a look at what I used and you can play around for yourself. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to pop back in the chat. We had a couple more questions regarding gear. Um, let's see. There was one about shoes, I think. Uh, yep. Sean Kane, what footwear did you prefer and how did it hold up? I decided to do trail runners for the entire through hike and they did not hold up well. Um, I hiked in Brooks Cascadia's and okay. depending on what version I had, my feet were either great or in a lot of pain. So it really was very different. Like if I was wearing the nines, my feet felt great. I had the eights. It was okay. If I had the newest ones, which I think were like 10 or 11 at the time, like my feet would just get so many blisters, but mm. I, I know now that I should have been hiking in boots. Um, my feet are delicate creatures. Like I said, I have a broken toe right now and they needed a little bit more support. I actually ended up getting a stress fracture towards the end of my hike, which I didn't, I didn't know I had a stress fracture. And part of the issue was likely that I didn't have enough support on my feet, especially for the amount of miles I was doing. And the fact that my, my feet are just my feet, everyone's feet are different and they just did not like it. (laughs) Was that what gave you the most trouble you think was your feet? No, I mean, I hiked probably for 500 miles with the stress fracture and didn't even know it. My word. Yeah, because you're doing so many miles and your body is just recovering all the time that you're always in like a low level of pain. And in the morning, your feet get these weird like needly tingles that you have to like walk out. And um, honestly, I just stopped being able to feel stuff like that. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. It's amazing what you can do when you just keep pushing. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the day-to-day when you're on the trail. Were you, I know you said when you went into this, you didn't have like a time goal. Did you have a daily mileage goal each day? Were you looking at a map and saying, I want to get to, you know, this point on the trail or were you just listening to your body? Was it based on campsites? What was, what was the deal for that? So it was based on two things. It was based on campsites and it was based on my friends. So I tend to be competitive. So whenever you're competitive, uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah. Like whenever my friend was like, I'm going to push a really big day. And I'm like, I can't just let them go without me. So I, I would do more miles than maybe I would have just like if I was trying to relax, but I guess I don't know how to relax. So (laughs) yeah, I was doing a lot and you, you really did have to plan on different shelters and not just for that day, but usually I planned just two days. So like I planned for that night and I planned on for the next one because you'd have to map it out in such a way that like you can make it to town to get food at a certain time. And, um, if there was a weird gap, because every once in a while there was a gap where like, maybe there's 10 miles between a shelter and you didn't want to hike too far without being able to find water or a good Mm. spot to stop. So it wasn't a lot of planning. It wasn't trying to hit a certain number of miles every day. It wasn't like if I hit 10, I was upset. It was just um, where I wanted to go and then who I was trying to catch up with. Okay. 
Oh, I, I, I wanted to ask you this in the beginning. Did you, do you have a trail name or did you, oh, did you yeah. get one while you were on the trail? I'm so fascinated yeah. by trail names with the AT. So I'm stretched and I got that name because I uh, was leading a group stretch at the shelters for like the first week and then um, on and off again until the end of the hike. So if everybody, if anybody came up to me and they're like, I have like a knot in my neck, I would show them the stretch to do. So, so it was me and a bunch of tall men. We had the trail name stretch. (laughs) That's awesome. For anybody who doesn't know, do you want to do a little quick background on what trail name? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, A lot of people like to have a new identity on the trail and A trail name is just anything that someone gives you. You're not supposed to give it to yourself, although sometimes people do. Um, There are a few people who got the name Yogi, and it's not because they liked yoga. It's because they were always trying to, like, get people to give them food like Yogi Bear. Um, (laughs) I had one friend, uh, she ended up getting named Dirt Face because it sounds worse than it is. It was actually (laughs) Uh, so sometimes names sound terrible, but they're not, but she would always like just smear dirt on her face somehow. She'd just be like, oh, there's something on my face. And she'd always have like something. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, my one friend got his name backtrack because his first night on the trail, he left his wallet and all his money at a shelter and had to spend an entire day, uh, going back to get it. Oh man. (laughs) (laughs) That's awful. Yeah. So some people love trail names to the point where like they will try to go by that in their regular lives too. And then there's people like me who like by the end of the trail, I'm like talking to people, telling them to call me Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Like I I just need my name back. But uh, there are definitely people that if you told me their real names, I'd be like, no, I mean, that's backtrack. What are you talking about? (laughs) No, that's dirt face. <laughs> yeah, dirt face. What do you mean, Molly? That's not right. <laughs> All right, we we have questions flying in the chat. This is probably the most the most questions we've had. So, I'm just gonna hit. I'm gonna hit you with them. So, this is a good one because we were just talking about mileage. This is from Heather Romlin. Wants to know: Did your mileage per day significantly drop when you got to the White Mountains? That's a great question. Yes, it did. And you can see that on my infographic as well. Um, In the White Mountains, you definitely can't safely do as many miles. And what a 20 day, 20 mile day feels like before that area, like a 15 mile day might feel worse than that in the White Mountains. There are just so many ups. And when you go down, you're going down steeply for quite a long while. And just to be safe and to save your quads, it's just, it's a slow moving process and a lot of rocks, but it's so gorgeous that like, maybe you want to take that time anyway. Mm. Although in the white mountains, um, I got separated from some of my friends I had been hiking with and I wanted to catch up with them. And I ended up doing like a 20 mile day in there. And let me tell you, that was very, 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 very painful. I recommend you take your time there and just enjoy the views because they're amazing. Oh, man. Yeah. When I was, I was in Vermont earlier this year and I was on the AT for a little bit and I was thinking like, I just can't even imagine like 
at the end of your through hike, when you're getting up to the New England trails, it's just, I mean, incredible. There's some really, I mean, it's beautiful, but gnarly for sure. Yes. Um, I would say that like you're in really good shape for it by the time you get there. So it's not like you're just like thrown in the deep end. Once you get to the giant mountains that start like, yes, in the Vermont, New Hampshire area, but like, it's, it's such a different feeling too. Cause you're walking over a lot of rocks and I, I think I might've fallen more in Maine and just butt scooted down stuff than I actually ended up hiking. Oh I just, yeah. I just put in, <laughs> I am not graceful. <laughs> Well, you're not the only one. You're in good company here. Um, We have a couple of questions about states. So two questions to hit you with. Don Weiss wants to know, in what state did you see the most bears? And then Sean Kane wants to know, what was your favorite state to travel through? Okay. So the state I saw the most bears was actually Virginia in the Shenandoah area. Oh yeah. There were just so many, I think because of the tourists, maybe not being responsible with them. Mm. Um, when I was staying at a shelter, I had a bear sniffing at my tent at night, even though Mm. that was one of the shelters where they had a specific area to hang up your food away from bears. So it was like super safe. And I, I ran into like a mom and cubs, like two different times in Shenandoah also. And they just acted like I wasn't there. And I'm just like, can you please go away so I can like continue down the trail? And then um, actually right before the Shenandoah, I can segue myself into another story that was asked about. Um, But right before there, I got charged by a bear, which ends up being the scariest moment I had on the trail. Oh my Uh, goodness. We got to hear this story. It wasn't a mom with cubs or anything like that either. There was, okay, I'll, I'm going to back up the story really far. Okay. There, set the stage. You guys set the stage. There, yeah. There's definitely some backstory. So there's a campground in, Vir- no, not a campground, actually. There's a brewery in Virginia called the Devil's Back Room Brewery. They have a setup for campers from the AT to stay. And in the morning, they make you breakfast. They just love through hikers. So we were uh, going there to drink and we set up our tents in the field, or at least we were going to, we got too drunk too, but we, <laughs> we were drinking all night at the brewery. We went way too hard. And uh, the next morning I was just so sick. I, I couldn't eat anything. And I was just sweating out beer. It was really bad. <laughs> and for everyone listening, I am not a drinker or at least not anymore. And I, I was real miserable and I had uh, 20 miles to do that day and I couldn't keep any food down. I'm just disgusting all over the place. <laughs> I think it took me like six or seven hours to hike like five miles. Oh my goodness. It was really bad. It was, it was not a good day for health, but <laughs> I started real early because I knew I was in pain and I still wanted to go all the way to where I was planning on camping next. And it was like towards the end of the day, maybe like three or four o'clock. And I could finally get a couple bits of food down. And I was just like three miles from town. And I was going to go out to this buffet for dinner because that's when buffets weren't gross and scary. And they were just amazing <laughs> places to stuff yourself with lots of food. <laughs> and I, 
I took like this nice little break at a shelter and I'm just so happy to be feeling better and back on my way. And there's this bear. So like I did everything right. Like that you're supposed to do. I, I had my trekking poles over my head, trying to make myself look big. I'm walking backwards. I'm talking to the bear. I'm just like, Hey bear, go away. I'm begging my trekking poles together. I'm big and scary. Just like go off so I can continue. And then yeah. all of a sudden it like huffs at me and is like, charging at me and it was like the scariest thing that ever happened because I'm just standing there like wow this is how I'm gonna die this is the dumbest way to die ever I'm gonna have to try to maybe punch this bear in the face or at least make my dead body look like I'm fighting it or anything oh my it's all going through my head and it was a bluff charge I didn't like I knew a lot about bears and like what you're supposed to do around them like but I didn't realize they bluff charged and they like to just test you out to like, see, are you prey? Are you not prey? Are you a threat to me? So it likes charging at me and it veers off to the side. And I'm like, what the hell was that? (laughs) (laughs) And I just like have my adrenaline real high. And then I just like walk past it and just go down the trail. And I pick up this big rock and I'm just like, banging it against another rock and like throwing it back at the bear. Like, like, you better stay over there. This is a terrifying story. (laughs) It was so scary. And I found out a few hours later that my friends who were a little bit behind me actually saw the bear too and took pictures with it. And I'm like, that bear just let you take pictures with it. Also, you're idiots. Don't take pictures with it. (laughs) Oh my word. (sighs) So you fought off, you fought off a bear while being hungover pretty much is what happened. Yes. Yes. I, I was like the most miserable I've ever been. And then I was just mad at the bear, (laughs) terrified and then angry. Like, why the hell would it do that to me? I'm today of all days. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So you saw the most bears in Virginia. That was the first one. And then can you, can you say you had a favorite state that you hiked through? No. Or is it too hard to narrow it down? I mean, I was in all the states for such a long period of time. Well, except for like New Jersey and New York, but like, like Virginia took me an entire like month to hike through. So there were so many different experiences I had in each that it's hard to narrow down what my favorite would be. I mean, I have to agree that like Maine and New Hampshire were definitely the most beautiful, but I think my body was just so run down. Maybe I didn't enjoy it the way I should. So maybe like it evened it out for the rest of the trail. (laughs) So maybe I liked it just the same, just because I was like miserable at a baseline. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, Man, we have so many questions. I'm going to try to keep hitting you with them. We've got a question from Michael Machetta. Um, He says, did you take any zeros? I think you're going to have to explain what that means. I I know what that is, but there's probably some other folks who don't know what it is. I took nine zeros. It's also also on my infographic. I I have that on there. Um, Zeros are days that you don't hike at all and your body really does need them. There's what's called zeros where you hike no miles that day or a Nero, which is you hike nearly no miles that day. So maybe you just hike like five miles in and then camp somewhere. And once you're in the middle of a through hike, five miles is like a five minute walk at that point, or at least like that's how your body considers it. So, um, I'd say I did more Nero's 
than I did zeros because I always had that anxious feeling in me where like I had to keep moving. I couldn't sit for too long. Some people really were good about like taking their time and enjoying stuff. But like, I always just like sat down somewhere for a day and was like, I really need to go. Like I'm trying to get to Maine. (laughs) Totally. Totally. Uh, Okay. Michael, you have your answer there. Sandra Baldanzo wants to know, she says, I'm curious about trekking poles. Um, Did you need them the entire traverse or no? Trekking poles are amazing. They take so much pressure off your knees and your body and just like really balance you out. Um, I highly recommend them. I, I use them for my entire hike. Um, There were areas that were difficult to use them and I had to break my own heart and put them away. Like the really rocky steep areas that went through New Hampshire and Maine. Um, I even tried to use them in those areas when I could, and I ended up breaking one. Thankfully I found a new piece for it. Um, but yeah, trekking poles get like two thumbs up. I mean, if you want to save your body and have your balance and, uh, not destroy yourself, it's the best. (laughs) Yes. I can wholeheartedly agree. I obviously haven't done a through hike, but, um, I discovered trekking poles the last two years. Thank you to Christina Lude, who's on the video. She was such a huge endorser of trekking poles. And I echo everything you just said. They really do. Uh, help with some longevity when you're out there. Um, okay, another question. This is from Kaylin Hopkins. Hi, Kaylin. She, um, her comment said, sounds like you did this with some other people. Um, Kaylin just tuned in a little late, so she missed the beginning uh, about that. Do you think it's safe to do the through hike by yourself? Do you think it's safe as a female asking for a friend with a laughing emoji? Because I know she's asking for herself. <laughs> Um, those are actually some of my more popular questions. So I was technically alone on my through hike. Um, I didn't hike with any particular person, but it's impossible to be alone. So I did hike in and out of groups. Um, there was a point in the beginning where there was like a group of four of us who like hiked the entire day together the whole time. And it was way too stressful and too much. And we ended up all kind of like going our separate ways at a certain point, but then you kind of find your rhythm. And I found some other friends where it's, you just, maybe you plan to meet for lunch somewhere. Maybe you plan to just camp at the same spot and you just see each other when you see each other, but it's almost impossible to be alone. There are just so many people and it's such a big community and you're all doing the same thing during the same hours. So, um, don't worry about being alone. I think it's very safe. The statistics actually say that you're safer on the Appalachian trail than you are in like your average safe town, Mm -hmm. which, uh, totally makes sense to me because if you're going to rob someone, like you probably don't want to hike five miles into the woods to do it. It's a lot of work. (laughs) So, um, I, I definitely don't think anyone should be concerned about it, especially being a woman. Um, one thing I really hated when I was through hiking is that when people stopped and talked to me, they would be really condescending about me being a woman and my safety. Um, the, the one thing that made me really angry is I was in Vermont. I was uh, hiking into town to get like ice cream or something. I forget exactly what we were doing, but I had one of my friends with me who was, he was a male. Um, we're walking in an old couple. Uh, they stopped to talk to us and they mostly just start talking to me. So my friend ended up walking away. And they were like, oh, so like, 
do you feel safe on the trail? I mean, you have a gun with you, right? Like, I'm like, no, I don't have a gun with me. Yes, I feel safe. Like, it was just ridiculous, like, how concerned they were for me that I didn't have a gun. Mm -hmm. And like, my guy friend's like a couple steps away from me. And I'm like, you're not asking him if he has a gun or any sort of protection. Yeah. On him. <laughs> so um, it's, it's less about how safe you actually are. And it's more about how people will, will perceive it and ask you a million questions in town to drive you crazy mm -hmm. about how safe you are. <laughs> Sounds like they were driving you right back out to the trail. <laughs> They were, they were like mad at me that I didn't have a gun. I'm like, do you realize it's like illegal to carry a gun over that many state lines? Yeah. And also, <laughs> also, did you see my lighter pack? Like guns are very heavy. Like that's a lot of weight to be carrying every day. <laughs> I'd probably be more concerned with like, do you have bear spray with you with the amount of bears you saw rather than a gun? Yeah. I mean, bear spray is heavy too. That weighs like six ounces. <laughs> right. Hey, that, that would go in your chart, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe bear spray wouldn't have been a bad idea. In the beginning, I had uh, a little pepper spray, but I only carried that for like two days before I realized that I don't need it. <laughs> okay. That's good. That, those are good, uh, good info for Kayla there and others listening. Um, Sean Kane wants to know, would you go back and try any different sections again? Uh, maybe I'd go back and do like a weekend. Um, I probably should do something in Maine or New Hampshire again, because like I said, I was a little bit miserable at that point. Um, there was actually an entire 24 hour period where like, I can barely find a few minutes where I wasn't crying. So can like, how, you know, wait, tell us more about this. <laughs> I mean, there was mostly no reason for it. It's really just like, I was tired and I was run down and then like, it was raining and someone wouldn't make room for me in a shelter. And then I just cried for like 24 hours. So I like missed everybody. And I wanted to go home. You know what? I'll reframe this. It was actually kind of very romantic because <laughs> my now husband, he came to visit me while I was through hiking when we were still friends. Like we weren't dating or anything. He was just, oh. I had a crush on him. And then when he left, it made me really homesick. And then I was just mm. kind of sad. And then my body was falling apart. And I just didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> was well, that, I'm guessing, was that when you had the stress fracture as well that you didn't, and you didn't know it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm tired. I want to go home. I want to be done with this. And then he came and then he left and I was like, oh, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all, we've all been there. There's, I'm sure most, most runners, hikers who have put in some miles have also shed some tears on the trail. Yes. Even if they're for no reason, there, were, yeah. there was definitely no reason for it. I was just like exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. We've got another question and Christina, I promise I didn't forget yours. I'm just, I'm saving it for the end because it's really good. Um, this is from Ryan Newsom wants to know, do you have any favorite trail foods? Uh, couscous. 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 You didn't even hesitate. You didn't hesitate on that. I ate so much of it. It's just <laughs> so easy for dinner. Like you have to like cook rice, but couscous, you just have to have like warm water and it, it just tastes good and you need a lot of carbs. So you got that going too. And it was delicious and easy to eat, especially at the end of the day, we're like too tired to even eat. 
Um, I also very much enjoyed the chocolate mint uh, cliff protein bars, the builder bars. Oh, okay. I really like those. <laughs> I ate a lot of them. <laughs> oh, actually, uh, let me take this all back. My favorite food was sour gummy worms. Wow. Over everything else. Yeah. I always forget how much I love sour gummy worms, um, until I eat them. And then I have like five bags at once. <laughs> I would get myself them. I'd say this will last me for like three days and then they'd be gone the first day. <laughs> All right. So sour gummy worms and couscous is, is top, top two for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I have a, I have another question for you. Were you tracking, um, your calorie intake? Did you have a calorie goal or was it just by feel of how much you were hungry? That's what you ate. I was not tracking it. And, uh, I don't know if I had the mental energy to track it, it even yeah. if I wanted to, but right. I am curious about how many calories realistically I was eating. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for me, if I do heavy exercise, I end up less hungry and I would end up eating more food when I was stopped in town than when I was hiking during the day and actually getting a lot of miles in. Um, I know for a fact that no matter how much I was stuffing in my face, it wasn't enough because I ended up losing about 10 pounds and, uh, it was all terrible food too. Like I was trying to eat really calorie dense foods and yeah, it just never felt like enough. And there also never felt like enough time to eat. Hmm. I wish I knew though. Okay. Well, maybe next time. <laughs> what, um, what was the average, I know it's, it's on your infograph, but the average mileage per day that you put in? Um, it was, wait, I can look at my infographic because I want to make sure I got it right. It was 15.86 miles average per day. Okay. Why don't you, you know, why don't you read off some of the stats on there? Cause there's, there's some good stuff. Yeah. Like I know you had like the highest, highest mileage day was on there as well. Yes, here it is. Here it is. Yes. Um, That's how much money I spent. That doesn't even include all the gear I bought beforehand, like the summer before and all my prep gear. This is just like during my hike, everything I spent. Sarah, I'm going to ask you to to read the numbers because when we upload this to the podcast, then people can have the the audio of it too. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, So I hiked a total of 2,189.2 2,189.2 official trail miles. Yes. <laughs> I spent, I spent $3,426 while I was hiking and I spent $785 on restaurants, $747 and a half dollars on grocery store items. So all the food from grocery stores, $598 on accommodations. So that was hostels, hotels, motels, and then some shelters and campsites that I had to pay for. I spent $301.5 on alcohol and don't let that fool you. There was a lot of free alcohol too. So (laughs) there was a lot there. I spent $192.5 on miscellaneous items. And those were uh, shuttles to get to and from town, if I ever needed that, uh, hair, I got a haircut at one point, got a mohawk, actually. I don't know why I did that. I did that. You got a uh, mohawk? I had a mohawk for a little bit. It was really weird. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you had to pay for showers. Um, there's a, a place along the trail called hot springs. And I went to the spa and 
we all just like sat in a hot springs tub, which was pretty cool. Um, there were some donations here and there and, uh, it joined the Appalachian trail, uh, conservation. And, uh, that's where the miscellaneous money went. And then I spent a big whopping $801 on replacing gear, which okay. included, uh, new fuel. You needed one of those every once in a while to cook your food, um, replacing my sleeping bag with something warmer, um, for warmer weather, getting a new sleeping pad because mine was uncomfortable. Uh, I needed a pillow. I ended up like getting this really bad, knot in my neck. So I ended up getting a pillow because apparently shoving your clothes together is not a good <laughs> pillow. Uh, I upgraded my tent at one point. Um, just a lot of little things like that. And then, um, I actually broke down my average number of miles per day in increments yes. of 30 days. I love this. I love this infographic so much. <laughs> Good. Let everybody know. I'm a graphic designer. I can do yes. this. <laughs> we need some work. Um, for the first 30 days, I averaged 12.77 miles per day. Um, you can tell, obviously, like, this is just me starting. I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, my body was getting acclimated. Um, the next 30 days, I did 16.1 miles per day. My uh, next 30 days after that, which is 61 to 90, I did 18.1 mile average per day. And uh, this was a flatter area. Uh, it goes through, uh, I think it was like Virginia into Pennsylvania. And it, not that there were no hills, but it definitely wasn't the most challenging of it. And then, um, through New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Vermont, the next 30 days, 90 to 120 was 16.46 miles per day. And then towards the end where I was miserable and this isn't even 30 days, but also the terrain was very difficult in this area. In Maine, it was 14.52 miles per day. My average over all the days was 15.86 miles per day. Um, I spent an average of $1.57 per mile that I hiked on the trail. My longest hiking day was 31.9 miles. Whew. I did. Yeah. Oh, that's a story. I could tell that story too. Um, <laughs> I, I did nine zeros. So nine zero mile days. I spent $24 and 82 cents per day that I was on the trail. And then I hiked 160.4 miles during a seven day period, which was the most wow. I did for any seven day period along the trail. Wow. Now, if I think I did any of that, I would just die. <laughs> um, can we, before I ask a few more questions, can we hear a little bit about that 50 K day that you did on the trail? Yes. There was actually a long period of time where I specifically wanted to do a 50 K and I was trying to do it in Pennsylvania because there's some long sections where you could go like 30 miles and it's relatively flat the whole time. So you can kind of just chug along. And I actually made it one day and I ended up doing 29.9 um, miles. And I thought I had done like the 31 for a 50K and I was really mad. And I, I didn't find another opportunity until I was in Massachusetts. And my one friend was sick of hearing me talk about how I wanted to do a 50 K and 
he kind of challenged me to it. He's like, Hey, look at this campsite. It's like, there's supposed to be a view here. It's supposed to be awesome. Why don't we try to get to it? (laughs) So he like egged me on. And this was in, I believe it was late July, uh, early August, maybe more like late July. So in um, Massachusetts, you're in a lower lying area. You're at less elevation than almost anywhere else on the trail. And in this particular area, um, because you were in the low area and the time of year it was, and there was like a little river nearby, it was like the most mosquitoes I've ever dealt with in my entire life. It It was hell. So I'm trying to get through this day and I am just getting eaten alive. Like I couldn't even stop and eat a snack because as soon as I stopped moving, they were like swarming me. I'm spraying myself with like a tiny little bottle of hundred percent deep and <laughs> they're just ignoring it. Like it never happened. It was ridiculous. So that's the mood I'm setting for it. <laughs> I am getting eaten alive by mosquitoes, which doesn't sound as bad as it realistically is. And it sounds bad, but it was real bad. And then like at one point I, I got to a campsite and it was, I think like a little over 20 miles into this day. And I told somebody where I came from and where I was going and I forget why it came up. And the guy just like, he was an older gentleman, maybe in his sixties, but he's just like, you're not doing that. That's way too many miles. And he just made me really angry because he thought I couldn't (laughs) do it. So that was like another reason for me to keep going. Yes. Yes. So I started this day at like 7 a.m. I'm getting bitten by bugs. I've barely eaten anything because I literally can't stop without getting swarmed. And then it starts to rain. So it's around like eight o'clock at night. It's dark, it's raining. And I have just had it. At least the mosquitoes went away at this point. And I, I called up my friend and I'm like, hey, like, don't expect me at this campsite. I am going to find somewhere on the side of the trail to to park my butt because I, I can't make it. It's already dark. Yeah. He's like, where are you? And I described where I was. He's like, Oh my God, you're so close. Just keep going. It's fine. You're just so close. And like, I keep going, I keep going. Like I'm not finding it. Like it's pitch black. It's like, it's not raining anymore, but it's like steamy and gross out. Yeah. I message him again. I'm like, how close am I supposed to be? He's like, no, you're close. You're close. And then it turns out it was like four miles away. It was not close. It was so far. And, uh, I ended up getting to that campsite at like 10 30 PM. So I'm hiking almost nonstop all day from like 7 AM to 10 30 PM. It was the longest day ever. And when I do really long days, I, I guess my adrenaline gets so high that I can't sleep, which happened to me almost every time I went over like 25 miles. Like I literally just could not sleep whatsoever. And I'm just miserable. And the next morning I, I wake up and all I hear is my friend go like, oh man, when she gets up, she's going to be so pissed at me. You just wait. (laughs) (laughs) And I get out of the tent and I'm like, that was a lot farther than you said it was. (laughs) He's like, yep, but you made it. Yeah. You got your 50 K, right? That's how I did it. I did it because I was tricked. I was tricked with friendship, but I was still tricked. That's that's a classic trail move. You're almost there. You're almost there. Yeah. An hour later, like maybe I passed it. He's like, no, nah, you didn't pass it yet. Oh, God. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, good stuff. 
Um, okay, we've got a couple more questions. This is, um, I'm glad Kaylin retyped hers from up at, up at the top. So this is from Kaylin Hopkins. Uh, just redrafting my questions in here. Where did you get your quilt? And would you recommend the one that you got? That's the, we'll start with that. She has a couple of questions. So we'll start um, with that. I got my quilt from Enlightened Equipment and they make fantastic quilts and you can get them to be like exactly the right size. Um, they're a little bit pricey, but they're really well made and I would highly recommend it. They're so light and nice and oh, I loved it so much. I also do have another quilt though from Cedar Ridge Outdoors. Yes, that's where I've, I've had one as well from Cedar Ridge. Oh, really? Yeah, um, yes. it seems really nice. I haven't gotten to use it yet, but um, taking it out of the bag and everything, it's also really nice. So um, if enlightened equipment's too expensive, there are other options. Awesome. All right. That was Kaylin's first one. Next one in here. Did you pre-train for the Appalachian Trail? If so, what did that look like? And she has one more after this. I thought I did. I thought I trained. So um, I would go up to like, uh, like I was living in West Milford. I was going up to like Terrace Pond, which is like this nice steep hike. And I was like running up and down the trail. I was going to uh, the, uh, stairway to heaven in Vernon also going runs up that trail and like going out for like five miles and just walking everywhere and right before I had quit my job to do this hike and right before that I was also training by walking everywhere so I was working in the city and I um we usually take the subway to work but I ended up just getting rid of my metro pass and walking two miles to the office and two miles back from the office, which actually ended up being the same amount of time as if I took the subway. So um, I was walking a mile to the path train. And then I was walking two miles to my office and then two miles back and then a mile back to the path train. So that was like my training, but really it meant nothing <laughs> because nothing can actually prepare you to hike a bajillion miles unless you're hiking a bajillion miles. Right. Awesome. Um, it's another question from Kaylin. Other than memories, do you have any souvenirs that you got from the trail itself or after you finished? So I have my tag that was on my pack because the um, if you sign up and register through hike, you get this cute little tag. Um, I also have scars on my feet from my foot surgery that I had to get after my stress fracture. So, you know, maybe the opposite of a uh, souvenir because they took a bone out of my foot. So I'm missing. <laughs> but no, I, I wouldn't say there's really like a lot of items to remember and take with you. Um, yeah, mostly memories and pictures, but no solid items besides like my little tag. Okay. Uh, we've got a question from... Christina, and then I'm going to ask her original question. Actually, Christina, would you mind retyping that again on the chat? Just so I want to make sure I get it right. And it's like way back at the top. We have a lot of comments. Um, but her first one is, uh, Sarah, did you train with your full pack on? Did you do any training with your full pack? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Should you have done any training with your full pack? <laughs> um, I don't really know if it were, would have made a difference. Yeah. I don't know. Ah, 
next time. Um, okay, I, I think I actually remember Christina's question from the beginning. She wanted to know um, how was it transitioning back into normal life when you finished the application? Okay. <laughs> So um, there is actually something that hikers learn about called post-trail depression. And it is very real for a lot of people. And it's something that I went through. Um, you go from like, there's so many factors involved in it. You go from having a goal every day. So like, you know exactly what you're doing. I am going to hike to Katahdin and that is my goal. And every day you have a purpose and you don't necessarily have any chores or any other worries besides reaching that goal. Mm -hmm. So when you get off the trail, it's like, well, now what? I don't, I don't have that solid goal. I have nothing I'm working towards. Uh, for many people like myself, like you gave up your career. So like you need to find a new job and find a way back into it. And uh, it's really difficult to kind of put your mind on a different track that way after being on adventure for so long and having like this community with you. And when you also get back home, everything has moved on a little bit. Like you're gone for like a half a year for the most, like most people do it in six months. So you have a half a year where you change and then your home also progresses. Yeah. Like your friends are still out doing things. So like you feel a little bit out of the loop when you get home. Um, the other factor that goes along with post-tail depression is like the physiology of it. And I'm not a scientist. I, I don't know if I'll explain this the right way, but you go from eating junk every day and doing a lot of exercise and your body goes from like 20 mile days with weight on your back, extreme exercise to almost nothing. Um, especially if you're like me and you had an injury at the end and you like really needed that time to recover your body. Um, you have to figure out how to eat regular food again and not just pop tarts and goose <laughs> um, and sour gummies. <laughs> yeah. And as much as I really wanted to, uh, exercise, like it, it was a hard drop off. It wasn't like I could like go out for a run. Like I was in pain. So, yeah. um, it's, it's not even just like mentally, you don't have something to do. Like your body is just adjusting its hormones and trying to regulate. And it's like, mm. you had me in overdrive for so long and now I just need to crash and I just need to adjust and your body just needs to figure out what the heck it's doing. So, um, it's really miserable finishing. It is absolutely and utterly miserable. Yeah. I mean, I, I know just with big trail races, you know, maybe a big goal that you've had for the year. Um, after a race there, the post post-race blues or the post-race letdown is a real thing. And even as a race director, I feel it after every event, cause there's so much buildup to the event. And then when it ends, it's just, uh, there's a little bit of a hole. Um, that was a really great question. See, I, I saved it for the end. Cause that was really good. Um, I think we've got two, two more questions, one from the chat and then one from me. This is from Kim Harnett. Um, how this is such a great question. I was going to ask it anyway. Thank you, Kim. Um, how did this experience change you? Great question. Let's hear yeah, it, Sarah. Come I, on, give it to us. I have no idea. <laughs> I could think about it all day long, but I think I'm still the same person. And after that little period after the trail where I had to like adjust back to real life, like I kind of just like flipped right back into it. It's like, 
before that I was saving because like I wanted to buy a home. I want like I always had this one thing like I want a house and I want a dog. And then actually I wanted the job first. I want a job and a house and a dog. And I still was on that track and doing those things. Um, I don't know. I still think I'd be the same person now if I had done it or if I hadn't done it. I think I just have more interesting things to say now. Mm -hmm. I don't know. A lot of people think of doing the entire Appalachian Trail as transformative, but I don't really think people do anything transformative on the trail, except for maybe lose weight and then put it right back on after because you didn't lose it with good habits. (laughs) From eating Pop-Tarts and hiking 20 miles a day. Yep. Interesting. All right. I'm going to hit you with one more question to wrap up. For anybody who's listening, uh, cough, cough, Christina Lude, Kaylin Hopkins, perhaps Jessica Smeo, I don't know, who's thinking about maybe tackling the Appalachian Trail through hike, would you recommend it? And what advice would you give them if they're thinking about making this a goal? What do you say? Um, well, I think if I ever got the opportunity to do a through hike again, I would not. Um, but if you haven't done it, it's, I don't know, it's worth trying if it really means something to you and it's going to be something you love. I mean, there was a great question in the, uh, original post I made from Don Weiss. And he's just like, how'd you know when you were going to make it to Katahdin or I'm like, I just never thought I wasn't. So like, Mm. it never crossed my mind that I could or should stop at any point. I was never like struggling to keep going. And that's the kind of attitude you need to do it. So it's less important to train your body. It's more important to train your mind. So if you really want to do it, just make sure that you have the right attitude for it and that, um, you work on your attitude and, you're going to get rained on and it's going to be cold and you're going to be hungry and mosquitoes are going to get you. And sometimes you're going to smell so bad that you want to gag yourself. And, (laughs) and it's funny when you think about it, but at the time it just makes you miserable. Um, and your blisters are so bad that you win, you win blister contests, which I won. I won ice cream for a blister contest, um, for having the worst blisters and, you just cry for 24 hours. And if you're someone who you think can be completely miserable for four and a half months to six months, then you should go for it. <laughs> what a great endorsement, Sarah. I don't know. People think it's so amazing and it's fun the whole time. And that's why so many people drop out because they have all these high expectations for how fun and awesome and transformative it's going to be. But you know what? It's not really going to be any of those things. It's going to be miserable, but the parts that are going to be amazing are going to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And you're just going to have to be, a, be the kind of person who can get through the misery. Mm. I feel like we got we to gotta put all that on a t-shirt, like an inspirational t-shirt. <laughs> just be miserable. <laughs> be miserable. <laughs> it is true though. I mean, if you think about it, so many, you know, I mean, a lot of outdoor experiences, but especially trail and ultra, you know, the, the human mind is amazing where we can quickly forget the miserable parts and you just hang on to that, you know, the high and the endorphins. Um, but there are up, I mean, the reality, it's like life there's ups and downs, you know, for everything. 
So, um, okay. I'm going to hit you. All right. I promise this is the last question. Last question okay. that we're going to go all up. night if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have um, any other items, like large items? I mean, this was a monster goal. Do you have any other goals on your bucket list that you are eyeing up? I know, I think you just said that you wouldn't want to do another through hike. Is that, you know, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't have a lot of big athletic goals that I think I will actually achieve at this point. Like mm -hmm. I already did my trail ultra. I ran a road marathon. I got some of the big ones out of the way. One thing I would really love to do is hike Mount Kilimanjaro and Ooh, that's cool. I almost got my husband to do it for our honeymoon, but we ended up not having a honeymoon at all. Thanks COVID. Um, <laughs> we weren't going to end up doing that anyway, but I almost got him to do it. Uh, mm. that's one thing I would really love to do that realistically, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to because of the money time commitment that goes into it. Um, so I'm looking for, I guess my next realistic goal. If you have any yeah. ideas, let me know. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Well, Sarah, if people have questions, can they reach out to you directly about the AT? And if they can, oh, yeah. how, what's the best way to do that? Um, you can just message me on Facebook. Kim tagged me in a ton of stuff. Um, she also tagged my Instagram. You can message me there too. I'm happy to answer a bunch of questions. Awesome. Sarah, this has been so great. I love it. I love everything about it from your infographics to the spreadsheets. I mean, I love, I'm type A as well. So I love, I love all that info. Your stories were great. I felt like I was there with you when the bear was rushing and the mosquitoes were eating you alive. Oh, mosquitoes. <laughs> so thank you again for your time. Uh, we will post this, the video will stay on our Facebook page. We're going to upload the podcast as well in the next week or so. And um, you can catch the replay on that. Our podcast is called Sasquad Trail Runners. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, wherever your favorite podcasts are playing. Again, if you want to learn more about Sasquad Trail Running, we are very active on social media. You can find us Facebook, Instagram, or on our website. If you're not on social, is sasquadtrailrunning.com. Okay. Sarah, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, guys. So until we see you again, keep it squatchy.